is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. This is H2O. Water. Two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. When the atoms come together, they stick. Welcome back to uh, Science Guys and Beyond. Uh, today we're going to be covering H2O. Uh, no, all right. Yeah, let's be honest. This is Bad Boys and Beyond, and we're covering Alan Houston today. I'm your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. Keith, are you ready to talk about H2O, the basketball player, not the not the periodic table element? Absolutely. Uh, this I, I was looking forward to this one. Uh, there's there's a lot to say for some, about someone that was only in Detroit for a few years. Yeah, there's this is a really interesting uh, setup here, especially his exit. Um, there's a lot to get into. I know you, you've got some, some personal stories that you want to share at the end of the show. I'm really looking forward to hearing both of those. Uh, but you know, yeah, I, this is, this is fun. This is why I really, really enjoyed Alan Houston. Really wish he would have stayed in Detroit and his exit was, um, maddening, I think is the right word. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that soon. Uh, before we get into Alan Houston, uh, the Pistons wrapped up their preseason and will be starting their uh, regular season tomorrow. When this ep- when this podcast drops, you can listen to this in the morning and then watch the Pistons season opener against the Orlando Magic. Um, Keith, with that first game of the season, w- what are we looking for besides a win? Yeah. Uh, at this point, and I really hate to say this because – and I've been very consistent on this. Preseason doesn't matter. The, the games are disposable. A week from now, no one will remember that the Pistons went 0-4 in, in preseason. The Bucks went 0-5. Nobody cares. Uh, but I, I think, unfortunately, what the Pistons kind of need to do in the first week is show that they aren't the same team that, uh, I don't want to say they embarrassed themselves, but they were really bad the first couple of weeks. And I, I don't think that enough people were are, are giving them cutting them enough slack for this. So I, I do expect them to have a good showing uh, against the Magic tonight or tomorrow night, because if, if they don't, I think they could snowball into a lot of negativity, especially they, they have a very tough schedule uh, after these first few games. So I, I think it's very important, especially at home, uh, that they start off strong. And I, I think it's certainly um, is going to be telling about the, the growth of Kate Cunningham because he, he knows this probably better than anyone else on the team. Uh, if the Pistons struggle like they struggled last year, it, the fingers are going to point at him because this is his team. This is his franchise. He's taken ownership of it. So I'm, I'm really eager to see the type of uh, player that he uh, shows himself to be uh, in this first month of the season. Yeah, I, same thing. I, 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 I wonder if you know the uh, preseason was just kind of running through the motions, 
and you know we were and you mentioned on our last episode that that you know preseason is more for setting up some of the guys that aren't going to get a whole lot of shots in a lot of playing time and and maybe Cade was more setting those guys up and uh so I, I, I'm hoping that we see like an explosion from him uh right out of the gates but you know we'll see where that goes uh one more thing before we get started I want to do a little a little play a little game here uh four questions four questions for you Keith um and and I'll answer them myself uh first one we're gonna do a little prediction game here what what is your prediction for this uh the win loss record? It doesn't I don't have to nail it, but is this team making a play in? What are we looking at? I I think play in is a possibility. I don't think it's a likely possibility. I I think the most likely scenario is between twenty eight to thirty two wins. I I like them on the high side of that, like thirty two maybe thirty three wins if everyone stays healthy. And we get the the growth of the younger players that we expect, and Bojan sticks around, and he's not traded uh, for draft picks uh, midseason. Um, I, look, I I don't think anybody's predicting a, a playoffs or even a play in, and I think that's realistic because they are one of the youngest teams in the league still uh, in year three. Uh, but I I don't think that the doom and gloom like last season they won what 23 games 20 something like that they they will be significantly better than that this season which still is not going to be good enough probably but they'll be better you'll see improvement yeah i i i'm i think that uh there's a good chance that they could make the play in and i only think that because um you know i look at who who are the locks in the east there's 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 boston there's philadelphia Toronto is is probably a lock. Milwaukee's yeah. a lock. Um, would you say that the Nets are a lock? Maybe. Yes, uh, unless there's just a total implosion. Kevin Durant by himself is going to be enough to get you into the top ten in the East, and that's really all they have to be in. And then from there, you kind of go to like teams like Atlanta, New York, Chicago, and Cleveland. I don't. I mean, I'm sure that I, I feel pretty good about Cleveland making the playoffs, yeah. and I do about Atlanta as well. But then, you know, when you get to that play-in area, it seems like it's wide open. Uh, you know, there's Orlando, you know, Miami, I guess, is, is another potential playoff lock. <clears throat> I just think when you get to that play-in area, it, it's it's really it's really loose, and I think that there's a chance that the Pistons could make it. But I'm right there with you, 28, 32 games, somewhere in there. Um, I, I, I just, I just want it. I just want improvement. I, I don't need to play in this year. It would be great if that happened, but I, I just would like a, a some, some market improvement. Um, and we'll see. Uh, my next question is um, real, probably, real, real oh, yeah, yeah. If I can, okay. Um, so I'm, I, I actually think the Pistons would have a better chance making the playoffs in the West. And, and this is, oh yeah. Something you would not hear often but the eastern conference is just to me it's clearly better uh yes you only have to be finished top 10 but to me four out of the five worst teams in the league this year are in the west utah san antonio uh oklahoma city and i i think portland has a chance to be that bad even though i don't think they'll be that bad but if you if you look in the East, the only team I think is guaranteed to finish out of the playoffs is Indiana, and because and that's only because they're they're building their team that way. So 
if you look at the top, the teams that I think are are clearly better than the Pistons, um, Atlanta, Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago, uh, Cleveland, uh, Miami, Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, uh, Philadelphia. That's nine teams right there. Mm. That's nine teams that I would that I would be shocked if the Pistons finished ahead of. So that leaves one. I mean, this is the chance that we're talking about, but that leaves literally one spot open for what five teams. Uh, Washington, Detroit, Orlando, uh, Charlotte, uh, New York. Indiana. Well, well, it, yeah. Well, I think okay. we're. I'm counting it. Maybe I'll eat those words, but I'm counting Indiana out. So I'm, I'm saying those five teams are going to be competing for that one play-in spot. Like the the East is really competitive, or at least it should be this year. Uh, the, the West, not so much, but the I think I think the East is is just a beast. I. I think that plays into the Pistons' playoff chances. Okay. Uh, is the rookie of the year, NBA rookie of the year on this team? No, but I, I think the Jaden Ivey's chances of winning rookie of the year, because he will get minutes, so he'll get started as minutes, but I think his rookie chances of winning rookie of the year are about the same as the Pistons' chances of making the play-in. It's possible, but, but not very likely. Uh I think you will actually see the the future rookie of the year on opening night, uh, Paulo Paulo Banchero, who is the number one draft pick, and he's a scoring specialist on a Orlando team that finished dead last in offense last season. So they will have no issue with giving him as many shots as he wants and as much as many minutes as he needs. Yeah, and I don't th- see this rookie class being quite as deep as last season. So I, I really think it's going to boil down to which rookie gets the most opportunity, which rookie gets the most uh, possessions uh, run through him. And I, I think that's clearly going to be Paolo this season. I, I don't see any other guy really approaching his uh, usage level. Yeah, no, I'm with you too. I think they've already given him the award. Um, but uh, but then stranger things have happened. You know, Scotty Barnes won the rookie of the year last yeah. year and nobody can seem to tell me why. Uh <laughs> I mean, like, I just, uh, I'm not trying to be a homer, but like, Cade Cunningham was the best player in that draft. Like, Evan Mobley, great, whatever. He plays for a great team. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I could just stick a hole in everybody else's case. Anyways, uh, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, speaking of Cade, does he become an all star this year? No, uh, but the only reason for that is I don't think the Pistons will be good enough for him to be an all star. Uh, it's easy to point to last year and see that uh, LaMelo Ball made the all-star team, but people forget that when they selected him to that, that all-star team, the Hornets were a top four, five, six team in the East. They were, they had a very good record and then they fell off after the all-star break. So I, I, I think if, if the Hornets were five, six games under 500 uh, around that time, I don't think that he would have been considered. So I, I, I think Cade may play well enough statistically to make it, but I don't think he'll be considered because there's the way all-stars are picked right now. You have to be a statistical God for, for your team to not be competitive and you still make the all-star game. There's just too many deserving players out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sadly agree with you as well, but I, I hope that they bring back that tournament thing that they did last year the rising stars tournament, because that was a whole lot of fun. And if Cade plays in that, I'm happy. Even if he doesn't, Jaden Ivey should. Uh, And then final question before we get into Allen Houston, 
Who do you think is the most improved Piston at the end of this season? I am going to go with Isaiah Stewart. I have been, and, and he's he's been a starter for a year and a half now. So the, the bar is high to consider him the most improved, but I have I have been on his bandwagon since the day the Pistons uh, drafted him. I, I saw the potential there for a an interior big man that had an exceptional basketball IQ and had the opportunity. I thought his shot, his, his shot mechanics were very good. He just needed to develop as an outside shooter because he never shot them in college. And I think he's getting to that point. Um, I think this is going to be a, a boomer bust year for him because it, it's pretty clear. He, he doesn't have the athleticism or the size to be an interior center. He needs to be a stretch big. And if he can do that, I, I I think the sky's the limit for him because then you're looking at possibly the next Al Horford. Uh, but if he can't, then you're going to see guys, you're you're going to hear whispers that we can't have him as a starter on this team long-term because for him to function on this team offensively, he needs to be able to be a threat. And the only way for him to do that, in my opinion, is to be a knockdown shooter. Well, we saw some, some good stuff in the preseason from him, uh, you know, uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a rookie to be the most improved player at the end of the year. It. I know that sounds weird. I think that Jalen. I think that Jalen Durden works his way from the from the you know where he's at now on the bench to the starting center spotted by the end of the year. I I think that he he carves out that role uh, by the end of the year. I know that that doesn't necessarily count as as most improved because because whatever, but. Yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. I think that he he outshines, you know, Marvin Bagley and uh, and Isaiah Stewart, too. I think, you know, if Stewart can move to full power forward, that would be that would be better. But Duran, I think, is is going to be the starting center by the end of this year, and he's going to look like an absolute steal in this draft. I, I think, look, I, I think we agree on his his career trajectory. I I think it's going to take a little bit longer. It, look, it, it's just hard for 18-year-olds to come in and, and be competitive NBA players. It just is. They they can look like one one night, and then the next night the, the grind gets to them, or they're just not emotionally mature enough to deal with, you know, the rigors of travel or, or something, something that has to do with, you know, adult things that they're not ready for. And – you, you can count the number of, of really good 18-year-olds uh, on one hand that have played in the NBA. There are just not that many of them. I, I really like Jalen Duran. It's possible that he could unseat Marvin Bagley. I just don't think that they paid him $36 million to be a you know three-month placeholder for Jalen Duran. I, I think it's they've got a longer-term plan in place. Yeah, yeah. You're probably right. And that's why predictions are, are dumb and they're always going to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I know, I know. Let's, uh, all right, let's do this. Let's get into Allen Houston. Let's, uh, let's go all the way back to the University of Tennessee. Uh, Allen Houston played for his dad. You don't see that very often. He was a coach's son. Yeah. Uh, a, f- a fact he's very open and proud of. Um, but look, Alan Houston from almost the get-go, uh, you you could tell he was uh, very well uh, trained to be a basketball player. Uh, big guard, 6'5", 6'6", had, had a shot that 
is so robotic. Like it was almost like a computer, like how you would program a computer to shoot the ball. It was his form was not only excellent, but it was it it was so consistent. Like it was the exact same form all the time. He was great at squaring his feet up. Like you, you could teach classes on on the form that Allen Houston had uh shooting the shooting the basketball. And uh he hit the ground running at Tennessee and never really stopped. Uh 20 points per game all four years at Tennessee. Uh all set at all SEC first team all four years at Tennessee. And it was kind of the best of times and worst for uh, worst of times uh for Allen, I think, because he, he excelled, but the the volunteers in all in his whole career there were pretty awful. And they never made the tournament. They they made the NIT a couple of times. The the irony is the, the closest they actually came to making the tournament was his sophomore season. Uh when at, at after finishing nine and twenty, they they snuck into the SEC championship game. They got blown out. Uh I want to say by Alabama, I think, beat them. But he, despite getting blown out in the title game, Allen Houston was still named tournament MVP for the fact that they, they even got there. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal college player. Um, for me, I always remember this, you know, and and I don't I don't vividly remember, but I always remember this game he had against Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, uh LSU at the time. Um, I don't even think Shaq was there yet. Uh, but but Allen had 43 points. Mahmoud had 49 points. It was just an absolute shootout. The kind of kind of game you'd love to see college basketball. Uh, you know, two guys just playing at the at the top of their uh, their game. Um, I wish that I could remember more about it, but that one just kind of always sticks out to me. Um, but yeah, uh, you know the you know the next thing uh, that's really interesting is in 1992 the NBA. Uh, sent some really great players to Barcelona. But first, they had him play against some college kids. And Alan Houston was on that team, as well as Grant Hill. Uh, and what happened in that game? Because if my recollection is correct, the college kids wiped the floor with the Dream Team. Yeah, and, and again, it's easy to to hear that, you know, the Dream Team, the, the quote-unquote greatest team ever assembled, lost, you know, their first scrimmage game to a bunch of college kids. But if you look at who was on that roster, you know, they had Chris Weber, Grant Hill, Allen Houston. Uh, it was just a low, like, I think probably 80% of those guys, 90% of the guys that, that played on the college team were NBA, future NBA stars themselves, or future lottery picks at the very least. So that, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. And and of course, the other half of the story is the Dream Team came back and humiliated them, you know, in the subsequent games. But they, they these guys can always talk, talk to their grandkids that, you know, as college kids, they beat the, the greatest team ever assembled. But I, I do wonder if that was the uh, Grant Hill's first introduction to Allen Houston. I wonder if that was the first time they, they'd ever met when they were teammates at, uh, at on the select mm -hmm. team. Or at least that would be the first time maybe they ever met as like played together. I gotta say it is an absolute crime, an absolute crime against humanity, against sports fandom, against everything that the video of that of that scrimmage is was has been wiped off the earth, buried in the desert somewhere. I mean, that's like that's gold, man. I would yeah. I would kill to see that. I I want to see it so bad. 
And like, because some of these players retired before the college kids ever got to the leagues. Like, I would love have loved to see um, like Grant Hill against Larry Bird. How cool would how cool would that have? Been? I don't even know if they played each other in that scrimmage, like right. matched up. But how 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 interesting would that have been? Or or Magic, you know? I mean, I know Magic came back yeah. in '95, but like, you know, this was when he was closer to the height of his his game. Uh, it would have been nice to have seen that. I just all kinds of things. It just uh, we were ripped off. We were absolutely ripped off. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, uh, the NBA draft, nineteen ninety three NBA draft comes up, and Allen Houston goes eleventh. Um, I know that uh, we're going to be doing this redraft pretty soon, but just kind of looking at the the draft uh, board right now, I mean, Allen Houston should have went a lot higher, right? The Pistons should have never even get, had a chance at him. Yeah, it was so weird. I, and again, this draft, 1993, uh, it was at the Palace. Uh, I was there. Uh, had had really nice floor seats. Uh, it was it was this weird thing because you got to understand in in 93, we don't have the the internet. We don't have you know smartphones that can give us great information on all the prospects. Here's what we had walking in, especially a kid like me. I was only 11. Uh, we had these pamphlets that they were handing out at the door that had, you know, statistics on all of the draft picks or all the players that were there at least. So that, that and that's really all we knew other than what we had seen on TV. And a lot of us, it's not like college basketball. You, it's not like today where college basketball, you had 30 games on, you know, a week. All we had was the it, it, it's in uh, suburban Detroit. All we had was the big 10 and then the NCAA tournament. So we didn't know a lot of these guys, like Allen Houston. I never even heard of Allen Houston. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> Kentucky was the only team I knew from the SEC. So, so so how it goes is the Pistons, and this was the very first two lottery picks the Pistons have had in their existence, uh, this 10th and 11th picks. They, they took Lindsey Hunter at, at 10, and everybody liked him because they saw he scored a bunch of points at Jackson State on the pamphlet. So we were happy with that. And... So you're thinking the Pistons pick ten, a, a guard at 10. They're probably going to pick a big man at 11. So myself and I swear all the other fans there were just flipping through this pamphlet looking for uh, who's the best big man left. And we all settled on, oh, A.C. Earl, I remember him. Uh, you know, he played at Iowa, the center. And I, and I, I kid you not, uh, the Pistons, all the Piston fans uh, at the Palace were chanting A.C. Earl. AC Earl for that 11th pick. Good. And it's not like the, we booed when it, when the Pistons selected Allen Houston, but it was kind of confusion. Like what, what, who, who is this Allen? We picked another guard. Why? So that, that was kind of Allen's inauspicious arrive to Detroit. It was Lindsey Hunter. And then also this other Allen Houston guy. No disrespect to AC Earl, but I'm really glad that the Pistons fans were not allowed to make the pick that night. Yep. AC Earl. AC Earl. I, I still remember those chants like like yesterday. It, it, oh it's goodness. so funny. Uh, all right. So uh, Allen's a Piston now. Uh, talk to me about his rookie year and kind of uh, that early Pistons start for him. So how this was sold to us at the time was uh, Isaiah Thomas is is pretty pretty close to being out, and Joe Dumars. He's got some years left, but he's getting up there in age. I think he was, he had just uh, hit 30, 30, 31, something like that. 
so it was sold to us that Alan Houston and Lindsay Hunter were going to be the backcourt of the future. These were going to be our, our replacements for our Hall of Fame backcourt. And Lindsay Hunter, I thought, played, again, this 93-94 Pistons, which I swear follows me around like a curse. I have to talk about them every podcast for some reason. Uh, the, the single worst uh, Pistons team of my lifetime, uh, despite the fact that they had good players, it was just a very bad mix. Uh, the chemistry was bad. No one wanted to be there. It was very obvious. And what you're thinking, hey, great, that creates more opportunity for these two young guards. And it did for, for Lindsey Hunter, who actually had a very good rookie season. And Allen Houston, uh, for whatever reason, just could not get anything going. He struggled. Even when he he played, he struggled. Uh, his, his, <laughs> Lindsey Hunter was a starter pretty quickly. Alan Houston, uh, and again, this is a guy drafted for his ability to shoot the ball. This was our our sweet shooting two guard, and you know he he shot the ball forty percent from the field, thirty percent from three. Uh, he he just couldn't get anything uh, going. Eight points per game. Uh, his his first start uh, of his career, he he picked up three quick fouls. Uh, only played 16 minutes. Like, he just couldn't get out of his own way. And Don Chaney, who was the Pistons coach at the time, I don't think he really quite knew what to do with him. Uh, he he started playing him at small forward for a little while because uh, he, he didn't want him and Joe Dumars to be on the floor together. So he was – or he didn't want him taking Joe Dumars' minutes. So he was playing him at the, at the three. He even experimented with him as point guard. It just didn't work. Uh, any of it really but you could tell um just in little glimpses how the few games where he actually got minutes uh he actually his efficiency went up like he he did get 20 uh just throwaway starts at the end at the end of the season and he averaged 14 points a game and his shooting was improved a little bit and that was kind of a uh like a a signature for him as his career went on like if you gave him minutes not only would he take more shots but he'd also make uh shots at a higher clip uh so you know he, he does start to kind of uh, in 95 his 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 averages go up he's up at the 14 points a game uh, near the end of that season he has uh, a really great game in april of that season against michael jordan where they kind of go back and forth uh and, and alan gets um uh, 31 points and hits his first six threes of the game. And Jordan, you know, gets 29. The Bulls do win that game. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty high scoring game, but uh, you know, you, you kind of told me off air that that was a little bit of uh, a mirage. I, I don't want to call it a mirage, but it wasn't in the fact that I don't think everyone was sold on Allen Houston. Here, here's the problem. And I, I said this on our pot last podcast, when it comes to, four-year college players you don't get a whole lot of patience they they expect you to contribute uh pretty close to right away they expect you to know how to know know how to be an nba player and with alan houston uh it was a long process for him despite being older uh 23 years old as a rookie it was he, he really struggled and then the beginning half of 95 it almost gets worse for him because the pistons draft grant hill so now there's all of those small forward minutes are now dried up. So now he's having trouble just even getting in the games. But uh, he's got Grant Hill in front of him, Joe Dumars in front of him, uh, Lindsey Hunter in front of him. But 
like Johnny Dawkins and Nigel Knight were starting over him, even when those guys were out. It was it was looking like the lights were about to flip on his on his Pistons career. And then at the very end of the season, Don Cheney kind of flips up his front draft pick. Should have done all along. That team was not good. But the last 30 games of the season, and you, you see this every year with teams that are lottery teams that are playing off the string, they'll, they'll throw in the young guys and, and they'll usually contribute. Uh, but people kind of take that with a grain of salt because it happens every year. But I do want to want to note this. Uh, Allen started the last 30 games of his second season. Uh, he averaged over 23 points a game, uh, shot over, shot 44% from three. I like he in, in, in he he averaged 39 minutes a game. Like he was playing a lot because the Pistons were just so banged up. And Don Cheney, I'm guessing, was under orders to to play him to see what he could do. But yeah, it was. For for especially for fans at the time that were following the team, uh, it was just a huge relief uh, to see him contribute like that. Like he, a lot of people had kind of give were pretty close to giving up on him, uh, but at, at the end of that '95 season, especially that game in Chicago, uh, everyone was really bullish on what he could do uh, in '96. Well, speaking of '96, uh, Allen Houston cracks the starting lineup. Uh, a couple games into about 10 games into the season and he really turns it up. He turns into one of the best players on, on the team, him and Grant Hill uh, form a really great chemistry and the Pistons are heading back to the playoffs for the first time. And in, in, in a little bit, uh, things are going really well. What, uh, why, why, did, why did things change? Is it, is it because of Doug Collins? Is it, uh, yes. what, yeah. you, you answered your own question right off yep. the bat. Uh, yeah, so in 95-96, uh, despite, again, I, I just mentioned, last 30 games of the season, Allen Houston averaged 23 points a game. Uh, so everyone's expecting him to be, a obviously, a key player the next season. It doesn't work out that way because the Pistons change management. Uh, Doug Collins comes in as both the GM and the head coach, and Doug Collins was not – he was a very defensive first uh, coach, always is uh, – Always has been, always will be. I don't think he was a fan of Allen Houston's defense. Not that Allen Houston, I thought, was a bad defender. He just, I don't think he was ever an impact defender. And uh, Doug Collins, uh, everything was kind of back to square one with Allen to start that season. Uh, the first uh, 10 games of the season, I think he played fewer than 10 minutes in like eight or nine of them. Like he was barely, he was at the end of the rotation. And the Pistons were not very good offensively. Uh, because he was putting all these defensive guys in and, and plus Grant Hill and he just, it just wasn't working out. So uh, Doug Collins solution to fix this, and he should have done this at the start of the season uh, was to turn the offense over instead of trying to make Lindsay Hunter a point guard, which he wasn't uh, turn the offense over to Grant Hill, let Grant Hill run the offense and make from the small forward position. And then, start both Joe Dumars and Allen Houston together and have two lethal shooters in your backcourt that don't need to run the offense. So you have Grant Hill for that. And like you said, um, from that point on, man, it clicked. It really, really, really clicked. Uh, Allen 
and his season numbers don't reflect this because he, again, he he didn't play much his first 10 games and that kind of tanked his numbers. But he started seven, uh, he started really the last 90% of that season. In, in his starts, he averaged over 20 points a game, uh, 44% uh, from uh, three, or, yeah, 44% from the field, uh, 44% from three, 83% from the line. He was just a sniper that entire season. And it led into the uh, it led into the playoffs where, again, if 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 this had only been their plan at the beginning of the season, because the Pistons started out three and six, and I think they it, it bled into like seven and eleven or something like that. Like they were bad uh, before Doug Collins uh, reorganized everything, and despite that, they felt they still finished forty six and twenty six, ten games above five hundred. But that was only good enough for the seventh seed in the East. I, I wouldn't. If they if he had just started the season that way, I, I think they could have won fifty games, and you would have had a better playoff matchup than the the Shaq Penny Horace Grant uh, Nick Anderson Orlando Magic uh, dreadnought. That that and look, they were competitive. They they were competitive in two out of those three games, mm-hmm. uh, especially that third game, which I I still think to this day they they were kind of screwed by the officials on a on a twenty four second violation, which I'm not going to get into, but. Uh, the bottom line is Allen Houston led both of those teams, led both teams in scoring. He averaged 25 points a game. And that was the very first and last time I think that you started hearing whispers like, is this, is this Allen, is this Grant Hill's team or is this Allen Houston's team? Like who, who's really the best player here? Like in hindsight, that was idiotic. I never thought that, but I was hearing that a lot because Allen was so good in those three games. And as it just so happens, uh, he was about to be an unrestricted free agent, so it could not it could not have come at a better time uh, for Allen Houston. Yeah, it you know it's it's a bummer that Allen Houston leaves after the season because this Pistons team looks like a team that could could do some things if they can keep it together. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they don't. Allen Houston plays his final games with the Detroit Pistons in that Orlando Magic's uh, uh, series. And then things get a little weird. How, how does, how does Allen Houston exit this team? So, and then we go to the summer of 1996, which I hate talking about because it's such a bad memory. Uh, that whole, it is the worst offseason the Pistons have ever had in their history might be the worst offseason they ever will have. Because if you look back on it, this was their window uh, to build a championship team around Grant Hill. This was their one chance where they had uh, Allen Houston, uh, Grant Hill, two up-and-coming players, two all-star caliber wings. You had Theo Ratliff, uh, another guy that's up-and-coming, uh, a young big man that's great defensive shot blocker, still learning on offense, but that's fine. we got time. Future and we got Otis Thorpe. We got Otis Thorpe next to him. I mean, there's there's just just a nice nucleus here, a nice young nucleus. Lindsey Honor, and they had cap space on top of that. And this was their chance to really hit a home run in free agency at a at another veteran star. And then boom, the the table is set. Like maybe they couldn't have challenged Chicago, but they would have been near the top of the East possibly in a year or two. And they completely fumbled the bag, uh, as they say today. Uh, the first part, um, I think strike one was not understanding that it wasn't the 80s anymore and you didn't have control over your your player free agents. Uh, th- 
I don't know what their initial offer was to Allen Houston to bring him back, but it was not a good offer. No one will ever say what it is, but everyone agrees it was a low ball offer. And the, the, the flippant way that their negotiations ended was pretty much, okay, well, we're not going to offer you maybe what you, all right, here, here's how it's going to be. We're, we're going to offer you uh, money based on what you've done in your three years in Detroit, but we're not going to offer money based on what you're, what you think you're going to accomplish in the next four or five years. And if by, by some chance, another team offers you more, Hey, just bring it back to us. We'll match it. And the absolute arrogance. Can you ima imagine that today? A player with a tw uh, what, 25 year old unrestricted free agent uh, looking like a future all-star <laughs> and you, you tell him, yeah, uh, go ahead and go ahead and test the waters. You know, we'll, we'll just, you bring it back to us uh, if you get a better offer. We'll we'll pay you what they're offering you. Like how disrespectful is that? And they didn't understand that. They it was it was to me, in my opinion, uh, they the Pistons management still had the attitude that these are the Detroit Pistons, one of the NBA signature franchises. Uh, we've got Grant Hill, who's taken the the baton from Isaiah Thomas. Who would want to leave this franchise? Uh, we've got Allen Houston in, in our pocket and we're going to go out and we're going to throw big money at Juwan Howard. And then when that doesn't work out, we're going to throw more big money at Matumbo. And meanwhile, Allen Houston, he takes one visit to New York and they don't, what, what do you think New York does? They give him their best offer up front. They make him feel like he's a, a, you know, a very valued piece of their future. And so of course he takes it and the absolute shock in the Detroit media is something that still sticks with me because it was everyone acted all offended, like, oh, a Mitch album did a did a massive hit piece on Allen Houston the next day. He had that thing ready to go. That, oh, well, this is this is professional sports now. It's all about money. It's professional sports. When when wasn't it about money? All right, money equals respect. I'm sorry. That's it's always been that way. Uh so, well, oh, we're we see players uh, leaving teams now and, and this isn't right. And how could he not give the Pistons a chance to offer? Why, why would, why would he give the Pistons a chance to match? Like, and, and people still argue this today and I don't understand it. If, if try to put yourself in Allen Houston's shoes, um, you, you have one job that you're okay with, but they're not offering you maybe the money that you want. And then you have another job in a much more lucrative market. That's giving, that's offering you way more money. Like why would you why would you go through the hassle of, of trying to negotiate your your offer up where you are? Just you would leave, and that's what he did. Well, even worse yet, you know, the Pistons like don't land anybody that they were trying to land that that right. free in free agency. Right. So it just keeps it like it just it was the ultimate letdown. And I wonder if they're able to retain Allen Houston. Does that maybe entice somebody like Matumbo to come to Detroit? Um, or, or really does it entice anybody? Does do they keep if they, if they keep Allen Houston, is this is this team a potential championship team in ninety seven or ninety eight or ninety nine? Well, it's hard to see anybody winning a championship uh you know in ninety seven or ninety eight but the Bulls. But I, I don't think people were looking for that. I think we were looking for, you know, is this team a contender? And I think they would have been if they had kept Allen Houston. And then maybe that would have enticed Matumbo or Juwan Howard to sign. But, you know, as, as soon as he left, they're both looking at the Pistons like, 
what's going on there? They just, one of their guys just walked out the door. Like one of their main guys, like what, maybe this isn't a situation I want to be involved myself in. And so they both left. I'm, Kemi Matumbo uh, took the exact same contract from Atlanta that the Pistons offered him. It's not, it wasn't about money, right? I, I know he liked, he wanted to be in a warmer weather city, but I have to believe that if Allen had stayed, like he would have probably fit in like a glove here. It would have been amazing. Oh, man. So that's a, there could have been a Grant Hill, yeah. Allen Houston, Dikembe Matambo team. It, like it was, it, it oh, could have been God. very, very close to, yeah. And then, you know, the fallout from that is Doug Collins overreacts. He, he sends out two first round picks for Grant Long and, and uh, Stacy Ogman. It was just, <laughs> man, it, it was just a cascade of errors. But um, I, I do have one thing to note. I was a, a kid at Allen Houston's basketball camp that summer, that summer of 96. Uh, it was at the Joe Dumars Fieldhouse. And as it so happens, that, <laughs> that camp was held that, that week of free agency. Uh, Allen started uh, that camp as a piston, and he ended it as a neck. So... And all right, real quick, this is how uh, professional player run camps generally work, at least in in my experience. They they hire uh, uh, coaches and counselors to run the camp Monday through Friday and then or Monday through Thursday. And then Friday, that's when the guest of honor shows up. And that's that you you spend the day with him. And that's exactly what happened that in that camp. So we're we're really wondering if Alan's even going to show up. Because, I mean, why Why would he? He's got 35 million reasons to be in New York at that moment. And the scrutiny and how negatively people reacted. Like, he, did he really have to subject himself to that? Not really. But it was really impressive to me that he, as, as a kid, that he kept his obligation to us. He showed up on Friday, you know, knowing, and you could see clearly, you know, the 30-some the reporters sitting right outside the gym waiting to talk to him. And he knew... He would have to go out and answer all their questions, but he he showed up anyway. In all mixed gear, yeah, and he spent the day with us. He 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 gave some shooting lessons, some lessons on shooting mechanics. Uh, played some mini games, uh, like like basketball uh, type mini game stuff. Uh, he he was very friendly uh, throughout the entire thing, and he explained to us, you know, the whole process, and you know, it, it had nothing to do with Detroit. Uh, he it was just a better situation for him uh him and his future and his family in new york and he, i mean he was really professional and really gracious about the entire day and given how negatively uh people reacted to him in town that had always stuck with me uh the fact that he he manned up to his decision and he was ready to face everybody uh just despite he he could have very easily have just left out the back door and never come back yeah, that's uh, you know that is that is that is pretty good of him to do that. Um, did now did he show up in all Nick's gear on that? Did he show up in the Nick's t shirt and Nick's hat? Nick's no, pants? no, he no. That would have been a masterful troll job. <laughs> um, Alan Houston's not that kind of a guy. He was, yeah, he, he was at, at least from my experience uh, a, a, as a kid, how he conducted himself that Friday. He would. Yeah, he he was just uh, I would say just a friendly guy. Um, not not too quick with a joke, but he was he was nice to everybody. Uh, not too dissimilar from from Grant Hill, I think. All right, 
All right. Uh, well, now Alan Houston is a is a Nick, and um, you know, you had, we had talked a little bit off the air as we always do. Uh, for you know, I say this all the time for people who listen to our show off the air. Keith and I will get on here and we'll we'll basically do the show before we do the show. We just we just talk basketball because we just love it. Uh, but uh, you know, Alan Houston's early Knicks days are not. Uh, he he t- he dips down. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't stay where he was at in that '96 season or ascend to a different level. Not quite yet, at least. Uh, but he has some struggles early on with the Knicks, and especially against the Pistons. So yeah, Alan Houston, I think, got weighed down uh, his first couple of years in New York by the contract, by the New York media, the scrutiny. Uh, suddenly becoming uh, one of the highest paid players on a team that uh, was an annual championship contender. And I don't want, he, it's not like he sucked. He wasn't terrible, uh, but he, he definitely was nowhere near as productive as he was in Detroit. He goes from at, averaging about 20 as a piston to averaging uh, less than 15 his first year with the Knicks. Uh, his efficiency still pretty good, uh, but it dips to 42% and then 38% from three. This is a guy that was shooting mid forties in Detroit. I, I, I was of the opinion that he was actually outplayed by John Starks that first season in New York, who was coming off the bench behind him. He, he had to really, it, it took him a while to find his place, but even though he was done with the Pistons, the Pistons were not done with him. Uh, Detroit was not done with him by any means. Uh, Allen was probably the greatest, and this is not deserving at all because he he seems like such a nice guy. But he was the, one of the, maybe the biggest heel of any former Piston ever. It's the way that he was treated every single time he came back to Detroit for those those next few years. Uh, the the first his first time back was the worst. Uh, he comes back uh, December eighteenth, nineteen ninety six. Uh, the Knicks come to town. It's a it's a TNT game, national TV. Uh, the Pistons are doing outstanding uh, without him. Uh, they actually have a better record than the Knicks at the time. And the Knicks come into the Palace and they just get destroyed. They lose the game by 34 points. Uh, the Pistons just embarrass them. And this is Doug Collins' kind of revenge. Uh, like he he had he had blood in his eyes in that game. Uh, he he wanted to embarrass the Knicks, and he got that wish. Allen Houston booed every time he touches the basketball. He didn't even have to shoot. He, they booed him immediately. Uh, he scored just two points in that game. And Doug Collins, uh, not willing to let anything go, uh, leaves his stat line on the, uh, the Jumbotron. He has them leave the, his Allen number 20, two points. He has them leave that on the scoreboard overnight just as a message. And it, it, I, it was overboard, and I know it, it rubbed a lot of people within the organization the wrong way, but that's just how intense the feelings were over him leaving the Pistons. And I, it wasn't just that game. Uh, Allen Houston played the Pistons three times that season. He scored a total of 11 points. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was very, very, very bad. Um, he for he just for whatever reason and it, you could clearly see it affecting him uh like it wasn't just like he was having bad games he was having tentative games it, it just 
I maybe you would have to ask Alan, but maybe playing the Pistons, uh, seeing Grant Hill on the other side of the court brought brought up memories that made him uncomfortable, like what could have been. I don't know. All I know is whenever Alan Houston played the Pistons, uh, he he was very he was he played very below his standard. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that um, that such a thing would happen, and it's you know. It's stupid that we reacted that way as fans without trying to understand, you know, uh, it was the Pistons fault that that happened, you know, and it kind of reminds me of, and it's a, it's a different situation, but can we stop booing Blake Griffin? Like, why, why are you guys doing that? To be, to be fair, Blake did kind of actively do make a heel move. Remember when he, he tried to, he instigated uh, Isaiah Stewart into trying to fight him and he got Isaiah Stewart kicked out of a game. And it was, yeah, I, I think he kind of played himself off as like a, as like a wrestling villain almost. Cause I, I don't think yes. he was booed initially. I think they booed him because of that. I thought they were booing him from the onset. Like I thought they booed him immediately. I could be misremembering that. You know, and my, from what I saw, Blake like helped the Pistons out and on his way out the door, um, you know, and then everybody got mad because he went to Brooklyn and and dunked the ball in a, in a meaning, you know, in a playoff game. And then everybody was like, "Oh God, he's he could have dunked this whole time." <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yes, newsflash: six so. ten uh, basketball player dunks a basketball. Oh my God, how he was he he still has his athleticism. No, you idiot. He's six foot ten. Yeah. Okay, so. Back at it. So, so the, Alan Houston. Yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, Alan, just... Alan Houston does. He 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 struggles that first year, you know, by what was expected of him. But he actually makes a nice little uh, a comeback. He plays pretty well in the playoffs. Unfortunately, he is one of those Knicks. Uh, if you, if everyone recalls, the Knicks played the Heat in the second round that season, and they were up three games to one. And what turned that series around was a bench-clearing brawl that happened at the end of Game 5. And this is the whole reason everyone knows this rule. When when a brawl breaks out or a fight breaks out, you cannot leave the bench. You cannot do it. And half the Knicks bench uh, emptied. And it was and the game was over at that point, so the starters were on the bench, unfortunately. And Allen Houston was one of those guys that left the bench. And as a result, he got suspended. He was one of the guys that got suspended for Game 6. And, and that caused New York... Uh, to blow that series and they lost in seven. Uh, very next year, Allen Houston comes back, shoots 28% against the Pistons again, uh, averages something like eight, eight, like 10 or 11 points maybe, but he's his just shooting awful. Uh, but credit to Allen Houston. Uh, he gets his revenge on the Miami Heat uh, without Patrick Ewing in the first round in the, in the clinching game five, scores 30 points, uh, takes out Miami, which is to me at least that was his arrival as a Nick was being the best player on a on the court when they upset they were a seven seed they the Heat were a two seed and he scores thirty points on the Heat's floor and they they win easily and he's really their best player in the second round against Indiana uh, even though they they lose in five games and from that point on I think you you finally started to see like Allen Houston. Uh, be part of the Knicks. Uh, you, you see him be his former self. Well, 
you know, he, he begins to even be a better player after that and winds up making two all-star teams later on in, in 2000, 2001. But before that, in 1999, he helps lead the, lead the Knicks to the NBA Finals and well, in a lockout shortened season. But nonetheless, he helps lead the Knicks to the finals. And uh, unfortunately, they don't they don't win. The Spurs uh, at, with David Robinson and Tim Duncan win their first NBA championship. But uh, can you can you tell us about that finals run and, and uh, Allen Houston's performance in the finals? Yeah, Allen Houston. And this is the year that the Knicks trade for Latrell Sprewell when he was kind of ostracized from the NBA. But they were they figured they're they're in a, in a rough spot where they were kind of capped out with their talent level. So they really took a chance on Spreewell and it did not look like it was going to pay off. The Knicks struggled that, that season badly. They finished eighth in the East. Uh, they barely snuck into the playoffs, but, but once they got there, they started all that talent they had started to click at just the right time. And Allen Houston, once again, uh, thorn in Miami's side, hits the shot of the season. Maybe one of the biggest shots of the entire decade of the nineties, uh, where he he catches an inbound, they're they're down. The Knicks are down by one in the in the clinching game five again. Winner take all. Uh, does a little double clutch in the lane. Uh, throws a shot up around. I want to say the free throw line of the elbow. Uh, heat defense collapsing on him, and it it it, it takes a weird bounce uh, off the side of the rim, hits the backboard, drops back through, and essentially that's the game winner. That's the buzzer beater. Uh, it, it's the first time in the Eastern Conference. Second time ever that an eight seed upsets a number one, and you know that momentum carries on. Uh, he he's one of their better players against uh, Atlanta, and they sweep through Atlanta. They go to the they go to Indiana, who's everybody's favorite to win the entire thing, uh, or at least they were the preseason favorite. And he is their leading scorer in that series. Uh, scores thirty two points uh, in the Garden in, in Game Six to send New York to the finals. And I know Spreewell got a lot of credit for that because he was the new guy. So the, people look at him as the guy that turned the turned the season around. But Allen Houston was the high efficiency scorer on that team. It wasn't Spreewell was a different type of player. Very still, very he had a very good season. But Allen Houston, make no doubt about it, he was the best player in the Knicks uh, for for the better part of that playoff run. And by the time you get to the finals. Uh, there's no Patrick Ewing, uh, Larry Johnson. His you can see physically he just didn't have it anymore. His back had kind of given out on him. Uh, so it was literally Allen Houston and Spreewell were the only two Knicks that averaged double figures in that series. It was kind of them playing two on five the entire time. And you know Allen still played really well. He's averaged 22 a game in the finals. It just it wasn't enough. But that that, that was. For both Allen and Latrell Sprewell, that was kind of like their this was their welcome to the NBA as stars, not just really good players, but after that 99 finals run, they were both seen as as stars. And that was the place that as Piston fans, we had always seen Allen Houston going. It just took him a little longer to get there. Well, he he does become a star. As we mentioned, he he makes two all-star teams, but then 2003. He has his best year uh, of his entire career with the Knicks. Uh, has has some big highlight games. He, he puts up fifty three against Kobe and and the, and the uh, NBA champion Lakers, and then he puts up fifty uh, a short while later against um, who was who was that against? Uh, All right. So yeah, in two thousand three, he uh, he I want to say in February, January or February, he scores 
50, he drops 53 points on Kobe. The Lakers win, but he drops 53, and it's an efficient 53. Like, he couldn't miss. And he, one month after that day, he goes to Milwaukee and drops 50 on Gary Payton. There you go. And th- that was, yeah. And and this is from a guy that I don't know if he ever scored 40 prior to that. Uh, it was just, like, that, that was everything coming together for him in that in that one season where that was his absolute peak. And that was kind of sad because the Knicks were no longer a good team by that time. Uh, they weren't even a playoff team. Uh, but it, it was really neat to see. Um, it, it was really neat. Actually, I think they may have snuck into the first round. I can't remember, but they were a bad team. And it, it was really neat to see Allen Houston uh, reach like the full potential uh, of what he could do on a basketball court. It's just crappy that we couldn't really see it in the playoffs. Well, unfortunately, that, you know, that was that was the height of it. And two years later, he's out of the league, uh, has some knee issues. Um, there's a whole thing where he kind of like refuses to get knee surgery. And then uh, the the uh, the Knicks amnesty him in 2005, and he retires from the league. Uh, attempts to come back in 2007. Uh, signs with the Knicks in 2008, but doesn't actually play uh, out of the preseason. Um, he's released uh, in the preseason is what I mean to say. Um, but yeah, I want to have a, a little bit of a discussion here, just kind of to end this uh, uh, this whole Knicks thing. In 2001, he signs a six-year deal. Uh, to stay with the New York Knicks, that was a mistake. And we both agree that that was a mistake. And it got to the point where he had like a $20 million salary and was untradeable. Like there was, he stayed with the Knicks too long is I think is what, what the, the, the problem is. Like, I think he should have, he should have left after that 2001 season, went out and got a contract somewhere else, maybe found a team that was going to be able to I hell, I would have gone to uh, Philadelphia or something like that, um, you know, uh, or or New Jersey or a place where I can uh, help contend for a championship again. But um, and you and I again, we talk off the air. And we both agree that this was a mistake. Um, yeah. To me, I think it was about loyalty, um, at least on Allen's part. The the Knicks were the team that made him feel like, you know, this we want you to be here for life. Loyalty. And, the guy who left the Pistons in a lurch in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, yeah, because the, the Knicks were the team that, that you know, showed him the money. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, like, New York was the team that said, okay, we're going to give you this this massive contract, even though you've had, you still hadn't been a full-time starter for an entire season yet. And the Pistons were offering him enough money for – they were offering a contract that you would expect to give a guy that showed promise, but wasn't a full-time starter in a single season yet. Like the, the Knicks paid him for what he could be. The, the Knicks, the Pistons were paying him for what he did. And I, I think that was that. And look, the Knicks showed him the money uh, once again in 2001, when they paid him a hundred million dollars. So I, I don't want to say this is all altruistic on his part, but the fact that he stayed in New York, I, I think that's what he wanted to do anyway, because the, the Knicks, I think, felt like home to him, which is it, it's perfectly reasonable. I, I mean, he he had some of the the best moments of his career there, and he at that point had made two All Star teams. It didn't look like like the Knicks were going to slow down anytime soon. It's just that as soon as he signed that deal, the Knicks couldn't re for whatever reason they they couldn't keep it going. Uh, their team aged out. 
uh, Sprewell got older and they just kind of fell apart and they, they, they couldn't bring in more talent uh, to uh, put around Allen Houston for to make another run at it. Which is, it, it's kind of sad because that's where some of Allen Houston's best years. But uh, like you said, um, in- injuries kind of derailed his career anyway in his early 30s. And it, it just wasn't ever going to happen uh, with him in New York. But look, he's still with the Knicks, you know, even today. He's the, he's the GM of their G League team. Uh, so, you know, clearly he feels a, a, a sense of uh, like being a Nick is, is his thing, which is yeah. fine. I don't begrudge him that. I I do think it's I, I would like to think that sometimes it crosses his mind like what if he had stuck around with Grant Hill the things that they could have accomplished together uh but I, I don't think he necessarily regrets his decision to sign with New York no no it doesn't you know it doesn't seem that way like you mentioned it's been over 20 years he's still part of the organization um now you had mentioned that you had uh Sort of an exchange with Alan Houston at the yeah. basketball camp. Yeah, I've been looking forward yeah. to hearing this. So, so Alan Houston, of course, being a coach's son, a uh, bit of a trivia buff, uh, as it turns out. And me being a, a thirteen or fourteen year old kid, I think it was fourteen at the time. Um, so Alan Houston, at the end of the camp, gathers all the all the all the kids around, uh, all the campers. And he starts throwing out, you know, old trivia questions. And keep in mind, once again, this is 1996. This is not the age of everyone having all of the information on the Internet at the palm of their hand. Uh, These were not facts that were very easy to come by. We had these places called library libraries where we had to go and we had to read books, which were like these words that were on pages. Uh, You you had to go if you wanted information, uh, you had to go and get it yourself. You had to work for it. Uh, so he was asking questions about things that happened in the seventies and eighties. Uh, a lot of these kids weren't even alive at that time. I wasn't, but the problem is that I, yeah, like he was trying to make it interesting. Uh, but the problem is I was the only one answering questions. Uh, spoiler, I was not too different, uh, as a teenager than I was now in, in terms of my, my love for basketball history. So I, I, I answered the first question. Uh, pretty quickly and then he stopped calling on maybe because he wanted you know to give stuff out to other people but the problem is that no one else knew the answers so eventually I started trolling him I was give, I was whispering the answers to the kids next to me and it was starting to get on his nerves so uh he he calls me up uh he gives me a two-part question uh who was the last player to I remember. This, I still remember the question. Who was the last player to lead the league in scoring and assists in the same season, and what team did he play for? Which, of course, it was the answer is Tiny Archibald, and he played for the Kansas City Kings. And so he says, "All right, this is what I'm going to do for you. Uh, I am going to send you uh, a game worn Knicks jersey uh, from next season if you can nail one out of two free throws." And I'm thinking, well, this is like, I, I wasn't the best free throw shooter. I think I was about 70%, uh, but like, okay, this is, I, I can do this one out of two. And he hands me the ball. And he says, hold up. You don't get to shoot yet. And he he gathers every kid around. And at this point I realized I pissed off everyone in the gym uh, by being a smart ass because 
he gathers and there must have been only there was probably less than 100 kids there it felt like 5000 because he has them all uh, like stomping their feet and slapping the ground like literally everyone is around the foul line or like around the key like no, no one's no one's touching me but like they're they're as close as you could possibly get and i'm feeling the floor shaking i'm like oh my god <laughs> like everything just turned on me <laughs> i think the first free throw uh, I almost airballed because my legs were kind of shit. Cause all of a sudden I was super nervous because everyone's looking. I had never had that feeling in my life of having a whole gym full of kids looking at you, you know, where she, while you're shooting a free throw that I got that experience. So the first one, I think I front rimmed and the second one, I know it, it, it back rimmed. It was too long. I may have like hit the side of the backboard or something. Like it, it, it wasn't even close. And that was kind of his, uh, like it was all in good fun. I didn't take it personally. Like I, I realized that I had kind of screwed up uh, by being a know-it-all. But yeah, that that was kind of his way of paying me back for. Uh, and I look, I, I firmly believe that if I had hit one of those foul shots, he he would have, you know, sent me that jersey. But unfortunately, I wish I could have told you that the end of the story ends with me making one, and that's jer that jersey still on my wall today. But no, unfortunately, I I went over two. Oh man. That's a bummer, but no, that's fun. That's a fun story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who, who's your player comp, Keith? Uh, if you had to com compare yourself to a player, what's your game like? Oh, to me? Yeah. Uh, uh, I was, I, I was more, uh, kind of a small forward type, uh, 6'1", uh, not athletic by any means, but I was an excellent shooter. I would almost say I my game was a little bit like Tony Kukoc, where I could do a little bit of everything and I, I could shoot, but I wasn't particularly great at any one thing and I wasn't really much of an athlete. I mean it's hard to say because Tony Kukoc was six, you know, nine, six ten, I'm six one. So, you know, if in, in a world with other normal sized kids, you know, I could I could be that big small forward, but uh I, I had a very, very good post game. Uh, and for kids today, what a post game is, I feel like I might need to explain that. Uh, but my 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 back to the basket game was was very very good. Um, had a great turnaround fadeaway. Yeah. Uh, but you know, outside of that, my defense sucked. Uh, I I wasn't very fast, and that those were kind of the things that kept me from being like a like a high level like player even in junior high or high school. Uh, but I, I I could play a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, I was more of like a John Starks myself. A scrappy. I was little. I was little growing up. I was scrappy. Um, then I got a little bit bigger and I turned into more of like a Dirk Nowitzki. Uh I would do I would do that like turnaround fadeaway knee up in the air thing that he did. Like I started like I really worked on that shot and I got pretty good at it there in my twenties. But nowadays I'm I'm retired. I got I, I, I will say this though. Um, my, my free throw routine, because I, and I forgot to mention this before my, my inability to hit those two foul shots, it kind of stuck with me. Cause then I, at that point I realized I didn't really have like a routine that I practiced all the time. It was just, you know, step to the line and shoot like your normal. And yeah. I, I didn't really have a, I have a routine. So, um, Grant Hill around that time, he wasn't the great, uh, as good of a foul shooter either. And he had changed his routine. Just, I think it's similar to what Rip Hamilton's free throw routine uh, was later on, and so I shoot my free throws. I, I shoot, you know, I shoot my free throws almost exactly like Grant Hill does. 
Like from that point on, like Alan Houston, you know, scaring the daylights out of me at the foul line, you know, caused me to copy, you know, NBA players uh, uh, foul shot routine and practice it, um, you know, like religiously. I, I do the, uh, the, the, the Chauncey Billups thing, two dribbles, spin it, then shoot. That's what yeah, I yeah. do. Uh, anyway, sorry. Right. Now uh, let's get off us. Cause we're totally not athletes at all. Uh, but what what is uh, Alan Houston's legacy at the end of the day? Uh, I think he shares two legacies. Uh, uh, the obvious one is the Knicks. Um, he was arguably the best player on a team that went to the finals, and especially with the Knicks, that's not something that happens all the time. Uh, he's like a Nick for life. He He's still there today. Uh, he's very proud of that fact. Uh, his legacy today, I, I think he's kind of like the proto Clay Thompson. Uh, I think Clay's a better defender, certainly, but in terms of what he did on the offensive end of the floor, and I think he could handle the ball a little bit better than Clay does. Uh, but he, he had that kind of ability uh, where, like, even as a big guard, six five, six six, his shot was just so picturesque and it was so consistent. Uh, he was, I don't want to say he was the first like real oversized guard that could shoot like that. Uh, but I, I think you can see uh, a lot of what he does in, in a lot of the bigger guards today uh, that shoot at a high percentage deep shooters. Okay. Well, I guess that kind of answers that the, can he play today question? Because oh, if God, he, yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. He, like oh, if he, he, could, he might make 200 million today, just, yeah, just he, that <laughs> his ability to, to, to shoot the ball at, at such a high uh, clip and a high volume. Oh, they could not pay him enough money today. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an easy answer. Well, that's Alan Houston. A uh, little bit of a, I think, I feel like this was a longer show today, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, Alan Houston, uh, that's uh, that's that's wrapping it up there. Um, so next week, we are going to have one of two different things. Uh, we're not going to tell you what they are because we're not 100% sure yet. But what I can tell you is that no matter what happens next week, you're going to get something different, something that we've never done before. Uh, there will not be a redraft next week. We are going to kick out the 92 redraft to the following week. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, we're either way, we're going to bring you something really great. Uh, and I think you're going to love it and it's going to be different from anything that we've ever done. And yeah, that's, that's what we got. Keith, uh, anything happening on the, the Twitter sphere? Uh, not, not anything different than normal. Um, uh, my name is, uh, Keith Black Trudeau. Uh, my Twitter handle is charlatan28. I run a twitter account that's dedicated to basketball history and more specific pistons history during the off season it's more general uh, nba history because that's my my first passion but i've grew up a pistons fan i still am and when the season starts you'll see a, a very sharp turn towards uh pistons heavy historical uh video uh clips that i put out every week and if you have any questions about the podcast or the Pistons or NBA history in general, I'm usually quick to, uh, quick to respond. You can find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton. Uh, Lions season is coming back from the bye week. Got a big game against the Dallas Cowboys this weekend. Uh, follow me on Sunday. I always live tweet the games, um, good or bad. Uh, it, 
if it's bad, it's going to be more funny. You at least you'll know that. Like I'll really put on my comedy hat. Uh, and then uh, with the Pistons starting up Wednesday today, while you're listening to the show, um, I'll be live tweeting tonight's Pistons game. Uh, I'm very, 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 very much looking forward to basketball, and uh, I'll I'm happy to talk with any of you guys about uh, about basketball and and uh, about the Pistons and how the game's going. So come find me and or come find Keith or come find both of us. We're both on there. Talk to us, and you can find us us on Twitter at Bad Boys Beyond. Um, you know, tell your friends, tell your friends, share, share the podcast with your, with your people and, and, uh, uh, help us, help us get our name out there and help us get to everybody listening and, um, like, and share and subscribe and do all those things. And on your, uh, your favorite podcast app, and we will see you next week with something very special. Can't tell you what it is. Cause we don't know yet, but it is going to be special. We'll see you then.